Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hi, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself and dear old Mandy here with me tonight. How are you doing tonight, Mandy? I'm doing good so far. Yeah. <laughs> We've already seen each other today. We spent time with our children together, so she's probably sick of seeing my face, but we're going to try this anyway. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about a case we've been talking about on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter page. We actually asked people to vote for the case for us to um, research and talk to you guys about next. And overwhelmingly, I would say, people voted to hear the case of Diane Schuler. Um, if you're not familiar with Diane Schuler, um, you may be familiar with the documentary on HBO um, titled There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. And uh, something we watched in our research as well as reading and watching other videos. Um, and if you haven't watched it, it's something you really might want to check out. But um, So tonight we're going to talk about Diane Schuler, and I will pass it over to Mandy. So we're going to start off with a quick little rundown of the case and then go back to why this case has been so intriguing for many people who have followed it from the beginning, um, because there are some kind of interesting things about the case that... Um, you know, we need to discuss here. There's so many theories. So, so many, many theories. so many. <laughs> um, so on July 26, 2009, 36-year-old Diane Schuler drove her minivan the wrong way for almost two miles on the Taconic State Parkway in New York, eventually colliding with a Chevy Trailblazer that had three passengers inside of it. 
Um, all three of those passengers did die in the um, crash. Their names were Michael Bastardi, Guy Bastardi, and uh, a friend of Michael's who was uh, Dan Longo. And there were a number of children traveling in Diane's van, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, all of them but one sadly passed away in the accident. Um, among them was Diane's three nieces, Emma, Allison, and Katie Hance. And those were the daughters of Diane's brother. Right. And uh, Diane's two-year-old daughter, Erin, also died in the crash, but her five-year-old son, Brian, survived with severe injuries. Um, if you see pictures of this wreck, it's a miracle that that kid survived. It's, I, I, it blows my mind. It, it was um, insanely graphic. Yes. Uh, the pictures are very jarring. I told Melissa that like I didn't know how we were even going to talk about this case yeah. because between all of the information and the pictures and the videos yeah. and you know everything that we saw it was very very sad and very I don't know how we're going to make any jokes today but <laughs> don't google pictures of don't. this wreck just it, no it's don't something you'll never um, recover from so the accident happened on a Sunday and the Schuler family was traveling home after a weekend stay at the Hunter Lake campground in Parksville New York um, there was, of course, Diane, the children, and Diane's husband, um, and then the family dog, I right. think, was also part of the trip. And, um, you know, they had a great weekend. Yeah. And on this Sunday morning, they were all getting up and, as normal, got everything ready to go and loaded up in the van and took off. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, this terrible accident happened. So what came out after the accident um, in toxicology reports that Diane actually had a very high blood alcohol level. It was 0.19, which is twice the legal limit. I think it's a little more than twice the yeah. legal limit. Um, and she also had high levels of THC in her system. So... I think everybody knows how you get THC in your system, but how it's from... How do you from, get THC in your system, Andy? It's from consuming marijuana one way or another, okay. either smoking it or somehow you got it in your system. Yeah. So in the documentary, There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane, um, the filmmakers actually talked to them six months after this accident occurred. Right around six months is when they started interviewing um, Danny Schuler, Diane's husband, um, his sister-in-law, Jay, um, who's a female, was married to... Danny's brother. So those are kind of the two main people you see throughout the documentary, I would say. Um, and as they're talking to them, Danny's telling them about this weekend, this wonderful weekend they have. Um, he kind of goes through the events of the weekend. Um, he said they're, you know, swimming and roasting marshmallows, playing with the kids. And he said that she was totally sober whenever they left. Um, he said that he got up at seven and they're cleaning out, he's cleaning out the boat. Diane's getting the camper all packed up. Everything's going as normal. Um, he's going to take their truck with the dog and the trailer home. And Diane's going to take the van that she borrowed from her brother Warren, um, that's the niece's dad, that they're going to take the van home. And so as they get ready to leave, they've had coffee, they've spent time together, and now they're going to go their separate ways on their way home. Diane uh, had plans to make a couple of stops on the trip home, which was um, about two, two and a half hours, right. I think is what I read, that was supposed to take them to get from the campsite to where she was taking her nieces, dropping them off at their home. Um, and they did have to be home at a certain time that day because right. they were supposed to go to a practice, I believe, of some kind. They had to, you know, they had a already... Previous commitment. Yes, couldn't get that off my tongue. <laughs> I didn't do great either. <laughs> so Diane was going to make a couple of stops. She said she needed to get gas. She had to get, of course, breakfast for all these five kids that yes. she has with her. Um, as anyone knows, if you have kids, they're ready to eat right away. 
you got to make stops and take care of the babies. It kills time on the way too. Exactly. And it keeps them happy. Yeah. Everyone's happy. (laughs) Uh, But otherwise she was going to just go straight to take the nieces and drop them off at home. Right. Um, On their way out of the campground, the uh, campground owner, uh, owner operator woman, um, she did stop and chat with the Schulers for a brief second. Um, she recalled that she did see the kids bouncing around happy right. after their weekend in the backseat. They were talking about how they couldn't wait to come back. And, you know, they had such a great weekend with Aunt Diane oh. and all of this, you know, just what you would expect after a really fun right. family weekend um, at a campsite. Normal. Right. Totally normal. Exactly. Um, and in the documentary... Um, the owner of that campsite said that uh, her exact words were, she certainly seemed sober to me. Right. So this was around um, 930 when right. they were leaving the campground. Mm-hmm. Um, so at 930, Diane was fine, according to those who saw her at right. that time of the day. Um, now, a few minutes before they had left around nine in the morning, Diane's brother, Warren Hance, um, he received a phone call from the oldest daughter, Emma, and she, of course, again, very normal, was saying what a great weekend they had, um, but they couldn't wait to get home and, of course, see their parents and, right. um, you know, again, all very typical, normal stuff. Yeah. It wasn't until uh, 9.56 a.m. that Diane and the five kids arrived at a McDonald's. And, of course, they were going to get breakfast. Um, and there were witnesses and, of course, surveillance video that the police have that showed uh, Diane and the children walking in, Diane ordering food, right. appearing completely yeah. ordinary on, you know, looks just like somebody ordering breakfast at McDonald's. Right. Um, and then the children played on the playground and everything was just fine. Um, the employee at McDonald's that day who took their order said that he did remember speaking to Diane and she did not appear intoxicated or smell of alcohol. Hmm. So that's around, like I said, 9.56, almost 10 a.m. So right. we're kind of doing a little timeline here so we can hopefully discuss when we think things went wrong. Right. So at this point, they've left McDonald's and they're back on the road. Um, at 1046, Diane was spotted on, on surveillance video pulling into a Seneco gas station. Is that how you say that, Seneco? Sunoco. Sunoco. I, I don't know if there's a right <laughs> no, way. I think you're right. I think you've got it. Um, but she pulled her van to a pump, uh, goes inside, looks around for a minute, and asks the clerk a question before she returns to the van. Um, the clerk later says that she was asking for Tylenol, if they had Tylenol or pain medicine. Um, but some people speculate she was looking for alcohol. Here's my question. In this day and age, and this is 2009, so it's not that far away, every crime, every everything, they go back to surveillance videos. Why don't we have audio on every surveillance video? That is such a good question, and that's one thing, especially after watching the surveillance of this that we're talking about, I would just love to like actually hear myself what was said between her and the clerk because we're kind of taking the clerk's word for it. Not that they have any reason to make up a story. I'm sure that probably is what happened, but it would be nice just to be able to hear her voice and the way she sounded and kind of, did she sound irritated? Did she sound, you know, so we can't really tell. And not to be so pixelated, you know how they kind of like cut, it's only a couple seconds It's like jagged. Yes. You can't really see her movements clearly. I'm certain that every crime in the history of the world 
dealing with surveillance videos could be solved if we could just all like GoFundMe and put money towards like upgrading. That is one GoFundMe that I would actually right? put money towards. I would like and share the crap out of that thing. Yes. Let's, let's get this done, guys. Um, so anyway, everybody, you know, on the surveillance, if you watch it, it looks like she's just kind of looking around. And if you've ever gone to a gas station or grocery store, anywhere, and you're looking around, they don't have what you have. You're just kind of in, out, you know, thanks. And so you... If you watch the surveillance video, which you can see online, um, you just see her get back in the van and they drive off. So that was the other interesting thing, though. She did not get gas. Yeah. At that gas station. True. Even after pulling up to a gas pump. Yeah, she was at the pump. She didn't pull into the front. That was one thing I thought was odd because they are getting ready to make this long journey home. Right. And she clearly pulled into the gas station by surveillance video, it would look like she had the intention of actually getting gas. You know, she didn't pull up to a parking space outside the store. Right. So, um... It was a little strange to me unless, I don't know if she maybe was thinking, I'll just go to a different gas station and maybe I can get gas there yeah. and my Tylenol. That would make sense. She might have gone in and planned. I mean, I don't know. How how many people were paying at the pump in 2009? Do you remember? I mean, I'm not asking for an actual number, but. <laughs> I don't have that statistic handy. <laughs> we missed that in all of our research. But I don't know if that's something like, because I would have just gone back out and probably used my card. But if, if it's one of those where you pay up front. And then leave, then that would make sense that she maybe was deciding to go to another one. But she doesn't go to another one. She does not. Um, the other interesting thing about the gas station is her leaving is that um, one thing in the documentary that the sister-in-law, Jay, said was that she had watched that surveillance piece over right. and over again. And, of course, everything seems normal and she can't find anything wrong. Well, after kind of doing a little bit of digging online myself and and watching it a few times and then you know reading and listening to what other people thought about it it was pointed out tinfoil hat (laughs) yes and that too but it was pointed out by someone somewhere that I read I'm sorry I can't give this person credit because I read so many things but um someone pointed out that she actually did not take off out of that gas station in a normal fashion she kind of pulled out really quickly and pretty much just drove right out into traffic without tapping the brakes and like I mean I guess Maybe she could see better than we could what was traffic was coming. I would hope she it could. It seemed a lot like she just kind of pulled right out. Yeah. So that may or may not be important. Hmm. But, but we'll never know because of the shoddy surveillance video. Exactly. So the next confirmed thing that we have on the timeline is at 1137, Diane makes a phone call to Jackie Hance, who is the mother of her nieces that she has in the vehicle. Right. And she tells Jackie that they are running a little bit behind and that she would have the girls home later than anticipated. She was laughing and kidding and acting completely normal on this right. phone call, according to Jackie, who has, of course, told her story many times since then. Um, she said at that time there was no indication whatsoever that Diane had any kind of a problem. Right. Um, and so, that, like I said, 1137. So that was not quite an hour, um, almost an hour after she was seen at the Sunoco gas station. Mm-hmm. So if she had a headache or any kind of pain, she certainly didn't mention it to her sister-in-law, you know, on the phone call an hour later. Right. So that kind of makes you wonder, you know, if she was in pain, either it wasn't that severe, at least not worth mention when she was on the phone. Right. That's one thing you kind of hear about from family, friends, and stuff as you go along is that she was just like super mom, super everything. She worked this really important job. They would say she stayed up all night making cookies, doing all this thing. She was this perfect person. And they all seemed like that was normal. Um, but maybe I'm the only one that like puts cereal as a dinner for like my weekly <laughs> planning. But I don't have that kind of 
drive or ability or something, but she seemed to be like this, this person that could do everything, had everything under control all the time. And no one thought anything in her life was ever out of place. And from what people said, she would never let anyone know either. Right. You know, she didn't want anyone to know if she was in pain or she was just that type of person who would always say, I'm fine. You know, it'll be fine. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about me. Right. You know, just very. So she could have very well been in pain at that point, but she just played it off and was able to. Again, I'm in pain. You're going to know about it and you're going to be tired of hearing about it from me. Oh, as soon as I stubbed my toe last week, I immediately text Melissa and said, I just stubbed my toe and I think I might die. Yeah, I thought she was dead. It was, it was severe. So now we've built up a basic timeline of them leaving. Everything's going well. Nothing seems really out of place. And this is where things kind of change. Um, So at 12 o'clock, which is about 20 minutes from this last phone call, Gerald Salerno becomes a witness in this case when he sees Diane driving erratically um, and she's almost causing accidents in the process. Um, He sees her moving her vehicle around the road and he says it's a very precise fashion. Like she seemed very, like she was trying to get like she was was driving badly, but it was like she was doing it on purpose. On a mission. She was on a mission um, and said he said at one point he could see the kids heads swaying back and forth um, as she's making these abrupt lane changes, which if you're, you know, I don't know, that's a scary thing to see. It's already scary enough to see somebody doing, driving erratically and you think, guys, you're going to hurt somebody. But then to see these poor little kids' heads in the background swaying around, that has to be something that sticks with them, obviously. Especially now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know. That's one of those, you almost have to think, what could you have done? There's nothing he could have done, but naturally our human instinct is to think, what what could I have done? So this um, erratic pattern of driving continues for a few more minutes. And at about 1213, uh, Francis Bagley and his wife, Jean, also became witnesses to... Um, Diane's erratic driving. Um, Francis had stated that he actually thought that there was some kind of nut coming up behind him. You know, we've all been there. We've all been in a vehicle and you're like, look at this guy, like flying up behind me or, you know, or weaving in and out of traffic. So I can kind of imagine him saying to his wife, like, what is this person doing, you know, that's coming up behind us? Um, He said that at this point, Diane actually started like honking her horn and was driving on the shoulder and kind of straddling different lanes. Hmm. And so the driving has gotten worse. Right. For sure. I would say in, in that 13 minute period, um, since, the first witness had right. seen her. Um, but the ba- uh, Bagleys were actually afraid that Diane was going to cause them to wreck their vehicle. So they pulled into a rest area and Diane, what do you know, pulls in right behind them into this rest area. That's my biggest fear is somebody following me. Right. In and this, vehicle. they don't know who she is or yeah, anything. It could be okay. anybody. Um, so Diane pulled in right behind them. And if you know anything about rest stations in the U S you know, most of them have like two, you can go two different ways. Right. There's a spot for cars and, you know, like passenger vehicles to right. go off and go to the restrooms and whatever, you know, facilities they have. And then there's also usually another area where like big semi trucks and stuff can pull off and park and do, take their naps or, you know, yeah. they have a truck rest area. Right. So uh, the Bagleys went to the normal passenger car area and they said that Diane actually drove her van into the semi truck part of the rest area. Hmm. So they, of course, thought, you know, how odd, but yeah. they uh, really didn't give it too much thought. They were probably just happy that she wasn't coming to, yeah. you know, do anything to the they road rage incident or something. <laughs> um, so 
they, two of them, the Bagleys, went inside of the arrest station to go do what they needed to do. And when they were getting out of the car, they saw Diane get out of her van and she was bending over as if and holding her stomach and kind of grabbing onto her knees and like as if she was getting physically ill. Right. Uh, but nonetheless, they decided not to confront her at this point. They do not have a clue that she is not the only one in the vehicle. Right. Um, and so they're kind of just thinking, whatever, it's a one-off thing. Yeah. So they came out of the rest station at 1230 p.m. And, uh, you know, they had, of course, talked about how weird the whole thing was. And, you know, maybe they were going to confront her and ask her at least if she was okay when they yeah. came out. But when they came out at 1230, Diane's and her van were gone. So they right. had already gotten back on the road and taken off at this point. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. Um, so according to phone records, at 12.55, a wrong number is dialed from Diane's phone. Um, but at 1 o'clock, she calls Jackie Hance, the girl's the niece's mom. 
Um, and at this point, he, she says she sounds disoriented. And um, after about two and a half minutes, she calls her Danny, which is her husband's name, seems really confused. And then the call abruptly ends. And so Diane's brother, Warren, Jackie's husband, calls back and he says, oh, she doesn't sound like herself. You know, he's concerned and talking about her calling him Danny. Um, and he could, said at this point he could hear the kids crying. So just imagine this, you know, if things are already erratic, these kids, who knows how long they've been panicked over what's going on. And they're aware something's going on. Um, and he told her, stay where you're at. I'm going to come get you. So it was very shortly after this at 1.02 p.m. that Emma Hance again calls her parents and she was on the phone saying there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. So this kind of gives me chills. This is the yeah, part I where know. I don't know how I'm going to make it through any of this, but um, they were pulled over near uh, the Tapanzi Bridge and... Uh, Emma was trying to read signs, anything her parents are trying to say, like, can you help us at all by finding out where you are? Like, if right. there's a sign you can read, just read it, you know? And she was eight years old. So yeah. um, that's just, like, a lot to ask, oh. you know? But I, I can't even imagine being in a position to have to ask my kids, like, to tell me something like that, and especially just not knowing what's going on. Yeah. Um, so Emma did find a sign to read, and she told her dad that they were in or near Terrytown, Sleepy Hollow. Um, those were the the towns on the sign that right. she could see at that point. Uh, so Warren Hance immediately got into his car and headed off in the direction where he thought they were or where he would be able to find them. So uh, the next thing is that at 1.10 p.m., someone, we don't know if it was one of the kids or if it was Diane herself, mm -hmm. um, but phone records indicate that three wrong numbers were actually dialed from Diane's phone at 1.10 p.m. So at 1.02 was when Emma was just talking to her dad, and then at 1.10, someone dialed three wrong numbers. Mm -hmm. So to me, that tells me that Diane did stay in that location at least for a few minutes right? Um, because – well, I guess I have to tell you the next part to make that make any sense. <laughs> but at 1.15, um, when Warren Hance tried to call Diane back, her phone went to voicemail. And then it was later discovered that she had actually left her phone on the guardrail um, in that same area near that Tapanzi Bridge where they had pulled over the car. Right. So sometime between 1.02 and 1.15, they got back on the road and Diane did not take her phone with her. Right. So I don't know how long they stayed. I don't know. This whole thing with the kids, though, that the part of it that makes it so tragic is how long they are in this van knowing something's happening. And then on the other side, how long their poor parents know something's wrong and you can't do, I have chills, you can't do anything about it. You're, you're completely helpless. You're trying to help the kids, trying to stay calm, trying to assess the situation, but there's nothing you can do. So it's kind of you're, you're witnessing you're witnessing this happening to your kids. And if I don't stop, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I honestly cannot think of anything Ugh. more anxiety-inducing no. than just thinking about that situation, let yeah. alone having to actually go through that. And like you said, that's like my worst fear. I don't even barely let my kids ride in cars with anyone yeah. that if, if I'm not riding too because, right. you know, it just – is I just can't, you know, yeah. it's very, it just upsets me and it really is scary. Um, but of course they had no reason to worry about Diane. At this point, they've never had a reason. Um, Jackie had said before that Diane was like her sister for 20 years. She just, of course she expected everything would be fine on this trip. And the girls loved her. All loved the kids her. loved her. Mm -hmm. She loved the kids. Right. You know, 
everybody consistently has said, even the Hanses have said that um, Diane was a wonderful person. Yeah. And that she, um, you know, even to this day, they still just can't believe what has happened. And, you know, that it's just, it was so... Just, and they've struggled with their emotions with it, of course. Right. From the person they love to the person that was a part of this terrible, tragic situation. So up to this point, uh, which we are at 1.15 p.m. now, the day of the accident, uh, the trip that they took home, the route that they were taking, rather, um, was typical. That's the way that she would have traveled all the time, going from the campsite to the house. Because right. the camp places is something they did regularly. So, you know, they had their own route to travel. Right. And so up to this point, um, near that Tipanzi Bridge, that was all typical from what she would do. Um, after this, though, she gets off the highway and police and investigators really don't have an explanation for why she did that or yeah. how she ended up on the Taconic Parkway, which I guess was not a, a way that yeah, she was yeah. going to go to go home. Um, so Brad um, Katinas, who is a friend of the Hanses, actually made a phone call to law enforcement to report the bizarre phone call that Diane had just had with Jackie and Warren. Right. And he wanted to see if the police were, would be able to help locate the van and just kind of do like a welfare check on Diane and the kids. Right. Just make sure everything's okay, you know, that Diane doesn't have need any medical attention. Yeah. I'm sure at this point they're thinking something is wrong. Medically. Yeah, medically You wrong. know, because that would be my first thought would be, oh my gosh, like she's having some kind of medical emergency and yeah. you know what I mean? Needs assistance. Like right. I would be of course concerned about the kids, but I would also be thinking like, does she need an ambulance? Does she need to go like to the hospital? Like, but you're also thinking she's not on the road. She's pulled over. Exactly. Right? So you're thinking point, that she's, she's stopped pulled over mm-hmm. and they're just worried. That phone call, that 911 call was really difficult to hear because you hear him saying, you know, the mom can't remember the license plate. Cause remember they're in her van, um, the aunt's van. Right. Jackie's van. Um, they're in her van and she's freaking out. She can't remember it. So they're trying to relay all this information to law enforcement. And I've thought that too. Like, I don't know if I know my my tag right off oh, the I bat don't. to be able to. But this, let this be a reminder to all of us that you should know the make, model, color, and your tag of your van if you're like me and you're old and you drive a van. Um, but yeah, that was really, to me, very difficult to hear knowing what kind of panic that would be. You think, if I knew this, this could help. But really, there was nothing they could do. Right. Uh, so at 1.33 p.m., two drivers called 911 to report that uh, a van uh, was right. getting onto the northbound exit ramp of the Taconic State Parkway. Uh, it is marked with a one-way and a do-not-enter sign. So, of course, people watching her drive her van through there are thinking, oh, my gosh, what yeah. is this per- – you know, this is something bad is going to happen if, you know, we need to call right now and report this. So the calls started coming into 911 at this point, and there are many motorists on the road that are – seeing this and now making these phone calls. Right. Um, Full disclosure, I have gone on the wrong way of a road more than one occasion, but you very quickly figure out when cars are coming towards you. Made a mistake, you pull over, turn around, listen to people honking, nod your head like, yes, I'm an idiot, (laughs) but you don't keep going and you don't accelerate your speed. Right. So actually within the next minute, there was four other calls um, to 911 they were reporting a vehicle traveling the wrong way down the parkway going approximately 80 miles an hour. Wow. So as we just said, that's not some, you don't mistakenly go 80 miles an hour the right. wrong direction. You know, either there's something wrong right. or I, I don't, there's no, there's something wrong. Yeah. That's the only, that's the only explanation. Of all of the options. Um, so the van traveled for 1.7 miles in the wrong direction. 
before, as I said in the beginning, it um, collided head on with that second vehicle, the Chevy Trailblazer, and the accident is believed to be at about 1.35 in the afternoon. Um, the Trailblazer that was hit by Diane's van also struck another vehicle, um, but thankfully the people in that third vehicle were mostly unharmed. They yeah. had minor injuries, but they survived and, you know. And thankfully it didn't hit other cars. Right. The fact that this is only three and this is on a highway and stuff is the one bright spot of the story that there weren't more deaths, really. Well, it, it is. And especially if you listen to some of the other witnesses, um, you know, recounting that day yeah. and saying how they were traveling the right direction on the highway mm-hmm. and um, that they could just see Diane speeding towards them in a straight line, not veering from, you know, people are like wildly like moving their vehicles yeah. out of the way or trying to, they're trying to like swerve around her, um, you know, at Honestly, I have driving anxiety as it is. I don't like to drive on the highway. It really, I don't like high speeds. I just get really. Which is great when you live in Orlando and anywhere you go is (laughs) the interstate. Dead stop. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I just, I can't even imagine the sheer panic of seeing a car flying towards you while you are traveling at that rate of speed and then having the wherewithal to know, like, I need to get out of the way. And people who, some of the people who had to do that, who were able to swerve around, you know, they said that. It was terrifying, of course, and that they, at one point, they, someone had said that they could look into the van and saw Diane and she just had this like glare, like straightforward stare. She was focused and it, uh, it was as if she knew what she was doing and was doing it intentionally. As we talked about in the beginning of the episode, there were eight deaths that day and Diane's son did make it and he was adorable. I saw some of the video with him and I can't imagine him growing up and hearing about this tragedy. He was a part of, but not really. He talked about flying out of the window. So he was ejected from the car. I think all of them were ejected or most of them were I ejected from know. the car. I don't know. I can't confirm if they were ejected, but I did confirm read. <laughs> I did read a few things that said that it was believed that the kids were not buckled and belted yeah. into the car. Well, I mean, that's just got to be pure panic in that car. I mean, um, but yeah. And maybe they were seat belted in at one point, And then, of course... Because it sounds like the nieces were trying to get the phone and trying yeah. to call the parents. And so they could have unbuckled themselves. You know, who knows? Yeah. I don't want to speculate and say that, like, they didn't get strapped in. Oh, I don't think know, that at all. Know. I think it was just a chaotic situation. And, and who knows? They had no idea what was going on. They were, you know, in survival mode, I'm sure. Um, so as we talked about in the beginning, Diane's blood alcohol level was through the roof. And she had some form of marijuana in her system, which you would not expect for somebody to be driving these five children around. The Schulers actually vehemently deny that she would have been drinking. They think these blood tests are wrong. So in the documentary, for example, her husband, Danny, who's now lost his wife, his daughter, his nieces, everyone's blaming his wife, and he very much defends her and says... The blood test is wrong. Right. There's just no possible way. No possible way. And he, of course, goes back and says, I saw her that morning. This is what we did. Everything was fine. She absolutely wasn't drinking and never would drink uh, while she had children in her care, especially not, it wasn't even just her own children. Yeah. You know, it's one thing terrible to make a bad decision when you have your own children with you, but a totally different thing to say, oh, I also have three of someone else's children with me that I'm responsible for. Yeah. You know, and... I can see why it would be a very hard thing to come to terms with and accept. Sure. You know. 
But you've got things like science. <laughs> right. That says these <laughs> and things. And very rarely is it wrong. And also, they found a bottle of alcohol in her car. What was that? Did they find, was it vodka? It was a bottle of absolute vodka. Yeah. And so it was smashed, but in her van. So he, Danny tries to claim that, yeah, it was at the campsite. They might have had a drink the night before. That's not abnormal, but there's no way she was drinking. It's- oh, he even went so far as to say that they were just really not even drinkers to the point where it would take them sometimes a year to finish a bottle of oh, yeah. vodka yeah, he because said they would just drink it slowly and, you know. That stayed in their camper and stuff like that, but somehow it ended up in the van. And if that was the case, and he said, oh, maybe, you know, because she did pack the van right. the morning they were leaving and maybe somehow the bottle of alcohol just made its way to it the jumped. van. Yeah. I'm not sure if I... Yeah. I think that's plausible because, I mean, I know when I'm loading up my van at 9.30 in the morning and there's a bottle of alcohol laying around, I'm definitely not going to stick it in the car where I'm going to be traveling with children. Right, right. You don't even need questions. No. Nobody wants questions with kids. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. This whole thing with him, I think the reason we even know about this case is because of the family's denial because his and Jay's were the two that were really represented. Absolutely. They wanted everything retested. They could not believe there's no possible way that she would have been drinking and had marijuana in her system. Um, They did say that she occasionally smoked pot every once in a while, once a month. They said she'd have a pina colada every once in a while, but it all seemed like there's no way. But the thing that was interesting to me is by saying that she has had she does drink occasionally, and she does smoke pot occasionally. You are saying that there is a possibility it could be in her system. It's not like they said cocaine's in her system, but nobody has ever seen her right. have cocaine. Like, that's not something she did. That would be different. But they're saying, they are admitting that they know that she has partaken in In the things. past. In the past. Doesn't mean she does it all the time, but but that it is a possibility. So for them to be in such denial was kind of hard for me in general. You can kind of understand you don't want any of this to be true and how could it happen and how could they not have seen it. But I don't know. I have a lot of questions on that. Yeah, I agree. I This is kind of a theme that we have um, with, you know, people in these situations, they do go through this extreme denial. I think, though, that um, the Schuler's side, it's a little bit um, – it's kind of – well, shocking for one thing, because like you said, we have science and very rarely do they get it wrong when they're yeah. testing samples in a lab and, you know, they know what they're doing. This right. isn't their first time. And um, to even say that, oh, we want these retested. At one point, there was talk of getting Diane's body exhumed right. because they wanted to have another autopsy and another test done. And it's like, that's taking it a little bit far. Yeah. You know, at the, at some point, you have to just say, this is what happened. The you tragedy, know? yeah. And that it was... I don't even like to call it an accident because it's not an accident whenever yeah. you consume alcohol and you're on a, you know, several hour drive home with five kids in the car. Right. Um, but it's a tragedy. Like it's a terrible choice. It was a terrible, terrible choice. And one that like, we'll never really know exactly why you or know? what happened. Yeah. Um, so as we said, her blood alcohol level was 0.19 and, um, the professionals said that she had consumed about 10 drinks. She had six grams of undigested alcohol still in her stomach at the time of her death. So that means she had drank enough to be that drunk. Right. And then still had more in her system. Wow. That wasn't even, that wasn't even digested yet. Yeah. So uh, this is where I kind of 
like, you know, I know there's a lot of theories. I'm sure if you know this case, well, you've heard them all and have heard that some people think she had maybe a, you know, an abscess tooth or yeah. her pain that she was in just caused her to drink, to try to take the edge off or, you know, but to me, it makes me question, that's a lot of alcohol yeah. to be drinking in literally in the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. Before noon. I don't before even drink noon. that much caffeine before noon. And like, I, if that's her thing and she wants to have a drink, that's great. Wait until you get home and you drop off all these kids and then, you know, make your kids go to their rooms for quiet time yeah. and you can have your drinks. Like, yeah. it just makes no sense to me why do it, you know, so that it, it does make me wonder. And it's just one of those things that will bug me forever to not know what Diane Schuler was thinking yeah. at, during that time or what happened in her head that, she, that made her consume that much alcohol. Yeah. You know, that's no mistake. Some people also said, oh, well, maybe she thought that it was you know, she was, had something wrong and thought that the vodka was a bottle of water and picked Give it up and chugged it. Have you ever done, I've done, <laughs> I've actually done that, picked up a bottle of that had vodka yeah. in it and thought it was water. And I spit it out immediately because, yeah. you know, you don't mistake. You don't mistake that. No, you don't. No. So as Danny and Jay are talking to medical professionals, they keep harping on this abscess tooth. They said, oh, Diane would never tell you if she was in pain. She would go to the dentist. They got dental records. And she did have some sort of a tooth problem. And if you've ever had like an abscess tooth, needed a root canal, anything like that, that is some pain that you will not forget. I would almost rather be in labor than go through that. But I won't give that to the men listening because they never need to know. That needs to be the <laughs> ultimate pain. But um, but I've had a tooth pain where you just thought I would rather bash my head through a window than deal with this anymore. So I, I can understand that. But it doesn't make sense that she would, maybe she had a drink thinking it would take the edge off. But to keep drinking and keep drinking and keep drinking and have all these opportunities to stop and at 36, you know what happens when you drink a lot of alcohol. Yeah. It's not like a surprise. You yeah. know, you know what the This isn't a whoopsie. This right. is this is intentional with how much she was drinking. So when she does go into the gas station and stuff and she's asking for pain medicine, I can see where they're thinking that this is a possibility. But they seem to think, Danny and Jay especially, that she had a stroke. And the doctors they meet with basically say, well, Maybe it doesn't really show that on the medical records, but that's not explaining all the alcohol and marijuana in her system. You have to get past that. Like you have to accept that this is the cause. Maybe she was in pain. Maybe she was trying to cover it up, but I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but based on everything they talked about, um, I read interviews with her friends, stuff like that. Um, they all talked about what a workaholic she was, how she did everything. She and Danny actually worked opposite schedules. So she was under the gun a lot. And it actually, and I also heard that she was kind of like the pants wearer in yeah, the family. And she, she wanted the kids. She controlled everything. Mm -hmm. She set everything up, even for Danny. Even Danny's um, parents yeah. on the documentary oh, yeah. had said that he was like a third child for yeah. her, which... Girl, no way. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I do not need a mm -mm. third child in my life. I need another adult. Yeah. So <laughs> we're both capped at two, and there's a reason for that. But more power to you if you have more than that. Um, but yeah, and I saw one friend that said if she if she liked you, she liked you. If she didn't, she didn't. But basically, she controlled everything. So when they're talking about, there's no way she could have drank. I almost took it as maybe somebody who had a drinking problem. Maybe she was a functioning alcoholic and she, for whatever reason, it wasn't working. It wasn't working. It wasn't working that day. And she kept drinking and drinking, but they just seemed not able to understand that she, maybe that's actually how she coped. Maybe that's how she got all this stuff done, that she was numb and, you know, working through stuff and working through the night and stuff. None of that stuff is 
the stuff that they talked about, it wasn't really normal in my life. Maybe I'm a total lazy bum. Don't nod your head yes, Mandy, but maybe <laughs> I am. But, you know, it just seemed so much. And they did talk about, he said that he never wanted kids. That was her thing. And oh, now he's stuck sad. with this kid. Stuck with this kid is what the quote was. But you just... It breaks your heart. A, a minute, a million pieces, this whole story does. Well, it does. And that was one of the things, too, that I almost, you know, I my heart goes out to Danny Schuler because yeah. I know his life is completely different than it was uh, yeah. back in 2009. But one of the things he was asked was, you know, what's the hardest part of life now? Right. What does he say? Doing homework, uh, going grocery shopping. Yeah. You know, I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, what a mom does every day. Right. Her normal everyday life. And I feel bad for him if he does think that that's... And there's dads that do that too, of course. There are. But I feel bad if, if he does think that's, you know, the hardest part of things because... Yeah. I don't know, but like maybe the whole theme of like still being in denial kind of carries sure. over with that because, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that, that the Schuler family has said just really doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, yeah. It doesn't seem to go with what happened. It almost seemed like they gave clues, but they couldn't accept it. Like they would say, well, she was just a perfectionist and everything was perfect and she liked to drink some, but it was almost like they were trying to convince themselves, but accidentally giving clues as to like, you know, warning and sirens going off and everybody else is listening and thinking like, nope, that's, that's not okay. Right. And I do actually have a thought on the whole theory of functional alcoholism. Sure. Um, I just don't know if I buy it necessarily. And the reason is because... I know that like the whole term functional alcoholic, the whole meaning of it is that they are functional. Yeah. But if you look at cases of like alcoholism, like they're still addicts and like they are still, yeah. you're, they may be functional to a degree, but not to the level that Diane was not with all this rigid scheduling and planning, yeah. not, you know, those types of like alcoholic mothers like that, like the kind where they outwardly do appear to have it all together with no problems like yeah. that just really doesn't exist if you know what I mean like I think it does but I think it's rare I think if you I don't know it seemed almost Stepfordish like you, I just felt like she had to have been doing something to cope and maybe she's basically a, a single mom in a way if he's working all these odd hours or they're working opposite shifts and she's getting everything done I don't necessarily think alcoholism means you have to drink 50 drinks, but sometimes it's just that's how you cope. So maybe she had like a tolerance in a way. I just think when they kept saying that she never, like she drank once, you know, a pina colada here and there. I think there was a lot more to it than that for them to, for her to have that bottle in her car. I just think this was a way she coped with maybe stressful situations. Five kids in your car is a stressful situation. Not saying that's why, but you know, she was dealing with a lot of stress and I'm sure she was the one packing up the car that day honestly I he just seemed like he maybe had other things to do right and the other thing of course that's that's worth mentioning is that with the combination of THC um first of all alcohol like could increase the absorption rate of like the THC that's getting into right. your blood so the two of them together can actually increase the effects of both you know, mm. um, so there is like some theory there that it's possible that she smoked or possibly ate something that right. was had marijuana in it. Um, and then when that hit her and then with the alcohol in her system, 
all of it together just hmm. became like entirely too much and it was just the tipping point. Yeah. You know, they did say that she had 113 nanograms per mil of THC in her blood. Um, I don't in really, English, what does that mean? I don't really know what that means, but maybe someone listening will know. <laughs> so that's why I wanted to throw it out there. Um, but they said that she could have smoked or consumed the marijuana as recently as 15 minutes to an hour prior to the accident. So hmm. that's pretty that she was with the kids at that time yeah you know and i don't know um like i said i don't know enough about marijuana or how long it stays or how the levels are in your system but you know i don't know how they make the distinction between like that you smoked within the hour or that you smoked last week you know what i mean so i'm sure they have levels that they kind of go on for that to get that number to me, that doesn't seem like an exact science because I don't know how you could really tell. Yeah. You I know wonder what if I mean? they checked her hair. I don't remember seeing that because isn't there a way – I know there is ways you can tell like long-term right. um, use and stuff like that. I have to be honest. I don't entirely believe that their morning coffee situation that morning was normal. I, I wonder if there was anything in the coffee and he knew about it. And I hope that's not true completely but he was just in such strong denial that almost felt like he knew more and he and felt he, guilty he felt terrible yeah i mean how could you not it oh it's just devastating Brittany on our facebook group brought up a good point she thinks she definitely thinks it was edibles which could be um like an edible marijuana sort of thing like i guess a brownie or something and if she had that in the car and was eating it they're it's not going to be super obvious. Right. The I kids guess. wouldn't know. The kids wouldn't have known, which you know would make sense. But um, well, and the other thing is that edibles hit really hard. Apparently, from okay. what I've read, especially after t- reading this, is that yeah. it's not the same as smoking pot. From what I've read, is like if you eat an edible, um, it does take a little bit longer to kick in, but then mm-hmm. like you're stuck with what you got, you know, yeah. kind of thing, and like it can be really overwhelming. I guess you would say, um, maybe particularly for someone who didn't normally yeah. partake. In that as often. Yeah. So that could be kind of something. But I'm with you on thinking that the morning um, that they left that was not exactly the way Danny said yeah. it was. He's the only real witness. He is. And um, and like just because the lady at the campground said that they left there fine, that doesn't mean – so they probably were at yeah. that time. You know, that doesn't mean that they she wasn't already drinking or that she hadn't eaten something or I've, I've read online, there's absolutely no basis of truth to this, but <laughs> there are many people who believe that Danny Schuler was also a pothead and yeah. that him and Diane could have smoked together or, um, you know, done any of those things yeah. together that morning. And the only person who can tell us the story is Danny. So yeah. we only have his word to go on. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing about um, the, the campground host talking about being a functional alcoholic, whatever that means, if there is such a thing. Somebody like that would be able to go through their day and and handle it and, and other people aren't catching on. Like that's the whole idea. But I, I think you're probably onto something saying that the combination of alcohol and THC hitting you would, you know, increase the side effects of it really. Um, so I that's kind of that's my theory, I think, that those two combined and she couldn't see and she was throwing up, but my thought at first when I heard about this case is why when she pulled over, why didn't she call and say, come get the kids, something's wrong? And my thought is she knows she has alcohol in her system. She knows she has THC in her system. She's just thinking if I can get home as quickly as possible, nobody has to know. She's made it this whole time living this perfect life. And for her, how much would that destroy? She would lose her job. She would lose everything if she's 
you know, doing this. That's, that's my theory. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do agree with that. Um, I, I also kind of think this is just a theory of mine, just because as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I have serious driving anxiety yeah. and it really is a lot more so when I'm on highways. Yeah. And so I've actually experienced like panic attacks behind the wheel, which mm. are terrifying, but actually some of what like the other drivers on the road describe her behavior about her just like focusing on the road and driving straight and everything. It kind of reminded me a lot of like how I get when I'm having a panic attack. Of course, I've always been in control and not drunk. And you're not on the other side of the highway. Right. And so I know that I can pull over simply wait it out, you know, which is what I do. Yeah. But it does kind of make me wonder because I don't know. Okay. The alcohol Yes, you shouldn't not drive while drunk. The like pot in her system, that by itself, I just write that off because I don't really think that alone would cause her to do what what she, she did. did. Yeah. So I'm thinking there has to be a third factor. So I don't know, you know, even if the combination of alcohol and pot, like you would still think she would be of sound enough mind, like you said, to just pull over and just. But you don't want to get caught. She she she's in it too far. If they figure out, if they have to bring her to the hospital, if she's that violently ill, she's going to get found out. And this is somebody who doesn't want her perfect life, anybody knowing anything's wrong. So we're going to have to agree to disagree on that a little bit. We can do that. I don't want either of us to be right. I want it to all be done and this to have never happened because it's just so darn tragic. So on July 26, 2011, 2011, a couple short years after this accident, um, Danny Schuler actually decides to sue the state of New York, um, saying that the highway was improperly, the signs were improper. Oh my which, gosh. Which, you know, do not enter wrong way, wrong way is not enough. Okay. But then the part we cannot, like, can't get over. We cannot. Oh, yeah. We cannot understand this part. He actually sued his niece's dad, Warren Hance, which is um, Diane's brother, sued him for the vehicle they were driving, for the um, the van, said that it was a faulty van. They shouldn't – He his wife shouldn't have been driving it. So there is no reason under the sun – I don't care what an attorney tells you. I don't care what anybody tells you that you would ever do that to that family. You've – You've done enough. You've opened your mouth. You won't shut up about her, you know, and everything all three of their children, all of them are gone, are gone. And you have the audacity to come in and say, oh, it was the van. It was because of the van. Now, the next day, uh, Warren and Jackie sued him, which good for them. I mean, I hate that this is broken up a family. I hate all of that. But they sued, they countersued him for basically emotional distress on what their daughters had to go through for possibly hours, you know? Um, and so you never want any of these lawsuits to have, you know, come to light. Um, but it was so, I I remember hearing about that the first time and just, I could never wrap my mind around it. I never will be able to. So the, uh, last thing that we really want to talk about is kind of what life has been like for, uh, Warren and Jackie Hance since this accident. Um, because as any of us can imagine, I don't even know how I could personally go on after this. Um, I don't know how I could go on if I lost one of my children, let alone all of them. And under the circumstances from a family, every part of this just checks off the, please never let this happen to me boxes. Yes. And I don't know if I mentioned in the very beginning, but the girls were eight, seven, and five. So 
they were extremely young. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, so that just... Yeah, it's too close to home. It, it really is. Um, but the Hanses are actually doing a lot better now. They had a really, really, really rough few years. Um, they didn't know if their marriage was going to survive. They didn't even know if they were going to survive. They... Yeah. Um, I have goosebumps talking about this part, but they actually had at one point kind of made a pact with each other, like either a murder suicide pact. And Jackie had said at that point, she was just so stricken with grief that she just wanted to go be with her girls and like, and, or she wanted Warren to go be with the girls. And so she said that they would, they were trying to figure it out. Like either one of them was going to kill the other one, but she didn't care. She wanted one of them to go be with the girls and, you know, and that was what they had talked about doing. Yeah. Thank God they did not do that. Yeah. Um, and they were able to go through the therapy and, you know, kind of had a whole community rallied behind them, of course. And, um, they were able to pick up the pieces and continue on with life. Um, Jackie actually sat down with the ladies home journal a couple years after the crash and, uh, talked about the horrifying experience. And, um, she then, told them that she was expecting a baby. Yes. So um, I, of course, was very excited to hear that. And then I went and kind of looked up another interview that she did um, where she was talking about, I watched the video of the interview where she was talking about this. And um, she had said that she didn't even know if they were going to be able to have more children because she had gotten her tubes tied after um, her youngest youngest, um, was born. And um, it was actually her friends who had said, you know, possibly having another child would bring some life back into, you know, into you. And as I I think any person would, Jackie was not immediately open to this idea. Like she's just said, there's absolutely no way I can be a mother again. Like I am way too broken of a person. Yeah. There's just no way. How could you? Yeah. Right. And then, um, after giving it a lot of thought and talking it over, they decided to, um, try IVF and she actually got pregnant on the first try. Yeah. And, uh, they had a daughter, another little girl and her name was Casey Rose. Now, Jackie and Warren also started uh, a foundation called the Hans Family Foundation, and the mission of the foundation is to honor the lives of the three daughters they lost by ensuring happy, healthy, and safe children through innovative self-esteem educational programming and the support of children in need. Um, I took that right off of their um, Facebook information on the page. Um, but they also have a giving program called Heart Hands Hope, and they give a substantial donation to schools and children's organizations throughout the year. Yeah. Um, when they, Mandy told me about this interview that Jackie did, and she warned me that she like cried like a baby. Sorry, Mandy. I but did. She, it was so awful. I'm she, so glad I'm like making it through this without Yeah, we've taken down. a lot of breaks. <laughs> but, um, but so I knew ahead of time I was going to divide this small interview up into pieces. So as soon as I started getting teary-eyed, I came back to it. Um, but one thing that Jackie said that just, you know, I would have never thought about right now in my life is she said, I just feel so bad for my daughter's future roommates that will, I wrote this book. So she writes this book that we'll talk about for a second, but she says, I, I really, I wrote this for the future people that would never know them so they could know them. The title of the book is I will see you again. Oh, I know too much, but yeah, so she says for her future, one of the daughter's future roommates and their future mother-in-law, who would have been their future mother-in-law. And you just don't think, really, I, I wasn't thinking before this, think of all the other lives that are really affected. It's this butterfly effect, really, that all these people that never would have, that might have married the daughters, that 
they end up marrying somebody else or whatever and the grandkids they could have had and stuff. And um, Jackie said another thing that I did love, and this is where I teared up again and had to pause, um, that she said that the baby brought a heartbeat back into their mm. home where she where there wasn't one. And you've got to imagine that's when you have kids, it's the most vulnerable thing. Cause you think I love this person so much. Oh my gosh, nothing can ever happen to it. And if you've had something happen to your kids to go through that vulnerability with that knowledge the next time, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have words for that. Yeah. I don't have words for most of this case, but, uh, nonetheless, that is the story of Diane Schuler. And, um, if you are interested in this, as Melissa said, please watch the documentary. And if you need a good rabbit hole to go down, there is a ton of different theories out there online. Um, there are some people that think Diane could have been hung over from the night before. Maybe that's why she stopped for Tylenol. Um, you know, there's people who think that she intentionally did this. I am definitely nope. not in camp intentional. No. I think, um, it really doesn't fit the bill for yeah. a suicide of a female. Yeah. Um, so to me, I don't even entertain that one. No. Um, but there are a lot of thoughts out there that you can continue to delve into if you are still interested in this case. Uh, but we hope that you guys have enjoyed this and that you feel like you kind of know the case a little bit better. And uh, now we are going to talk about our hashtag, I'm Invincible Win, I'll Never Let This Die. Um, Mandy, you're at my house tonight. Uh, did you happen to look in my shower curtain after our conversation last week? I'm going to as soon as I get up and go to the bathroom. <laughs> you should, for sure. I totally uh, allow that. Um, so we did get a good um, I'm Invincible win on our Facebook group. And this is a nice little promo. If you are not friends with us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, why? You should come find us. Talk to us. We'll talk to you. We enjoy our our friends of the show and uh, like to know more about you guys and what your thoughts are. Um, but this is my favorite one of the week. Um, this is from Matt on Facebook. And he said that, and he prefaced this by saying technically this happened when he was a kid. Um, <laughs> he said that when he was a kid and home alone, I would walk around doing karate, and that's in quotes, moves so any potential bandit, which is also in quotes, would be too afraid to rob my house. <laughs> <laughs> this just reminds me so much of my oldest son because he does things like this all the time. He will come up to me and he'll kind of do the like you know, arm chop kind of movement and, and say that he's, you know, he's fighting bad guys. So yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, he did also follow up and say, uh, actually there's so many toys tossed around our house. It would be hazardous for someone to break in his house at this point. So that's like the adult <laughs> version of his I'm invincible when, which we love that. So um, I'm invincible when I keep my house full of toys everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Mandy, we're invincible. Look around. We're invincible. So, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our show tonight as much as you can enjoy this case and um, and the whole story that goes with it. Thanks for joining us. We've actually had a lot new a lot of new listeners in the past week. So if you're new to us, thank you. Don't hate us. We're we're basically wonderful people. We're doing our best here. Yeah, we're doing our best. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> hey guys, this is Sinead from the Mens Rea podcast. If you like true crime, and I know you do. Check us out to hear about the guilty minds of Ireland and the UK and the court cases that follow. Available wherever you get your podcasts from. And remember, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks. 
Hey, it's Erin. And this is Jordan. Each week, we dig up the facts on fascinating felonies. And mesmerizing misdemeanors. Join us as we prove that you don't have to know too much about the legal system to be crazy for a good true crime story. Subscribe to Crime Crazy on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And visit us at crimecrazypodcast.com. He doesn't even go here. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.